0: From Midtown Detroit Studios of WDET, this is Detroit Today.
1: We keep hearing these days about the new COVID surge here in Michigan, which by some measures is second only to one other state. And we're seeing the return of some restrictions and disruptions to keep more people safe a public health advocate, Abdul El-Sayed, says what's happening is not quite that simple. Yes, there are reasons to be concerned, but there are also facts to support the idea that we are at less risk now than before. We'll talk about why next on Detroit Today, right after the news from from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. So Michigan is leading the nation and not in a good way. According to the CDC, the state's latest seven day new COVID case rate is 504 infections per 100,000 residents. And right now, no other state is seeing that many new cases. Schools all over Michigan are reporting cases growing among students and staff, and that is forcing some of them to cancel in person instruction and go back to remote learning in some way. Hospitals are once again overwhelmed, and in a lot of ways, it kind of feels like we're right back where we started. And it feels like maybe there's no end in sight to this pandemic. But my next guest says, we're not back where we started. Abdul El-Sayed is a public health doctor and political activist who says it's not 2020 anymore and that we need to find new ways to think about and measure the risks that COVID presents in our daily lives. That is where we begin the conversation today. And I wanna welcome Abdul El-Sayed back to the program here on Detroit Today. Great to have you here.
2: Stephen, it's always a privilege to be with you. Thank you.
1: So, You say that we should be thinking about this differently. How do you think we should be measuring things instead of the way that we all are, watching television and hearing these reports that say we lead the nation in new cases?
2: Yeah, I I want to start with the recognition that any time the number of cases of a pandemic disease go up, it is a cause for concern. But I don't want us to fall into the trap of being held hostage to our perspective that was driven by 2020, because to a lot of people I talk to, this feels like deja vu all over again. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Cases are going up. Does this mean I can't spend time uh, with my family anymore? And I just want to remind folks what has happened over the course of this year, which is that uh, we have vaccines, and those vaccines are safe and effective, and 70% of people uh, have gotten them. And that really is a really important point. Europe has been ahead of us for uh, this pandemic by about a month. And they've got rising case numbers, too, in some countries setting, uh, setting whole uh, records for the number of cases uh, that they're experiencing right now. But when you look at the number of deaths associated with that, uh, they're substantially lower, 25% as many as you would have expected had this been 2020 before vaccines. Mm. And so what this tells us is the vaccines are working. And right now, I think a lot of us are getting a mixed message from the COVID cases that we track. They're going up or they're going down. And it's really a mix of two different pandemics. There is the pandemic of the vigilant vaccinated, which uh, largely is made up of uh, mildly symptomatic or asymptomatic cases because the vaccines work. And then there's the far more serious pandemic of the unbothered, unvaccinated, uh, which is really causing the the increasing hospitalization. So what I I propose is that rather than focusing on the number of cases, which really is a mixed number here, we should be looking at the, the number of hospitalizations, which yes, is going up, but we should also be stratifying that based on whether or not uh, you're talking about counties with a high vaccination rate or a low vaccination rate, because that really demonstrates the difference uh, hmm. in uh, the risk among vaccinated people versus unvaccinated people.
1: Hmm. So when we talk about the let's first talk about the breakthrough cases that we're seeing people like you and I who are vaccinated, and I actually also got a, a booster last month Um uh, and And I think that's one of the things that might be scaring people just a little bit is the idea that if you did everything right, if you did what the c d c said to do, which was to go get vaccinated and and at the appropriate time take a booster, that there are still people who are getting sick but but again, what you're saying is that is really different from what we 're seeing with people who i have not decided to take uh, those vaccines but but talk about what the risks are for these breakthrough cases getting COVID even if you don't die uh, seems to have the potential for some long-term effects that that we might live with and and things that we maybe haven't even discovered yet about what it could do to us so 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 talk about what those risks actually are for those of us who are vaccinated
2: yeah, well, first, kudos to you and everybody who's gone out there and gotten their double vaccine and gotten their third dose as well. Uh, big news today, of course, is that the FDA has approved um, the, the booster for, for everyone over the age of 18. And really, we should be changing our thinking about this uh, rather than it being a booster on a two-dose regimen, that it's just the third dose of a three-dose regimen. And so um, we know that that is going to cut the level of transmission, those, uh, those, those breakthrough cases that I think scare so many folks uh, who've done everything right. But I, I want to offer just a perspective on, on the risks here. Uh, if you were to get in your car, right, and uh and travel 50 minutes, right, to uh to, to, to your family's place uh to have Thanksgiving and you're vaccinated and uh one of your family members with whom you're sharing space, let's say you're not wearing masks, uh, is unvaccinated. The risk to you of dying of COVID is actually one-sixth uh what it was in your time in the car on the way there. And I just think it's important for us to remember that COVID is not the only risk. We take uh, risks all the time, and because of the vaccinations, they're they're exceedingly low. I also hear uh, your point about long COVID and the risk that you ha- might have symptoms that last uh, last longer than 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 say uh, six weeks. But there was a study uh, out of uh, Israel that's really helpful to to put in perspective what the risks there are. Uh, and of 1,500 vaccinated healthcare workers, albeit people who have a much higher exposure than maybe you and I might if we're not working in the hospital day in and day out. Um, only about 39 uh, of those vaccinated healthcare workers were infected, and seven of them had long COVID cases uh, with, with, with symptoms lasting more than, more than six weeks. And so you're talking about half a percentage. And so it, it's important to recognize, yes, there are risks. But for many of us who've been focused on this pandemic, who believe uh, in the scientific process that tells us that we have a pandemic and that uh, these vaccines are safe and effective, Um, We are quite vigilant, right? Because we want to do what what it takes to protect ourselves. Uh, But I want folks to remember that actually getting that vaccine is the main thing. And by the virtue of of the nature of how we we allocate ourselves, people who are vaccinated tend to live among more vaccinated people. And people who are unvaccinated tend to live among less vaccinated people, which is part of the reason why the experience of COVID now is becoming so fundamentally unequal. uh, Because we are vigilant. We take all the precautions while there are other folks who are unbothered and unvaccinated are not taking any of those precautions, and so um, the risks are real. That I absolutely are real, and I don't want anybody to leave this conversation saying that Abdul said that pan- the pandemic is over. It's not, <laughs> but it is a uh, it is a very different risk profile now than it had been. And I hope that folks who have taken all the precautions rest a little bit easier, knowing that because you took those precautions, it is a far safer experience for you than it had been.
1: Hmm. And and we should be clear that one of the things you're saying is the most important answer here is. More vaccination uh, that that the 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 biggest risk we face right now is the people who have just decided not not to do this for whatever reason uh, okay. that they are spreading the disease more easily than 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 others uh, and also that they are allowing the disease the freedom i guess to find new ways to protect itself uh, from from these vaccinations.
2: That's exactly right, Stephen. And this is the thing. The answer is vaccinate. It it is, of course, that people who have not gotten their boosters go out and and, and get that booster. It is the third dose of your regimen. You know, your vaccine regimen is not complete until you've gotten boosted per the FDA. And uh, to, to folks who are unvaccinated, I know you've heard all the messages. Everybody's trying to get you to get vaccinated and you still got questions. Look, at the end of the day, skepticism is the cornerstone of good science. But the way that we answer skepticism is with data. And we now have a vaccine that literally billions of people have taken, and it has led to the kind of protection from a pandemic disease that has saved hundreds of thousands of lives. And you may look at this and say, "Well, we've got vaccinations, and cases are still going up." Abdul, what are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that they would be going up substantially more uh, if if um, people didn't get if people had not gotten vaccinated and they would not be going up, up if more people got vaccinated. And so my ask to you is, please make the right decision for you, your loved ones. We're going into a holiday season where um, you know, the high probability is, is that if you've got unvaccinated people in the family, there are other unvaccinated people there. And you don't want this Thanksgiving to be the reason why somebody doesn't get to join you next Thanksgiving. Hospitals are filling up and COVID is real. The most important thing you can do is get vaccinated. Look, you go get vaccinated today. Uh, we know that the... Um, the uh, immune response kicks up within seven to ten days, uh, and so you're you're getting it right, uh, right, right before uh, maybe Thanksgiving. So please, I, I hope that for folks who are still unvaccinated, still uh, standing by, I hope that you'll do the right thing for yourself and your family.
1: Hmm. I'm talking with Abdul el Sayed, who is a public health doctor and former director of the Detroit Health Department. Uh, he has a new piece on his Substack, which is called the incision uh, about the COVID surge that we are experiencing here in Michigan. Right now, we have more new cases each day than any other state in the United States. Uh, And of course, all of the reporting about that surge is getting us all worked up again, making us feel alarmed about COVID. Uh, Abdul is not saying that we shouldn't be alarmed about that, but that we ought to be thinking a little differently about all of this than we did last year. Circumstances look very different because of things like the vaccines that many, many people are taking. Uh, We need to start kind of recalibrating the way that we process information about covid first of all so that we're not all panicking about things like thanksgiving next week when uh, for many of us for the first time in uh, more than two years we will be able to see family members and get together with them uh, but also so that we can continue the march toward uh, this herd immunity that we need to reach in terms of the number of people who accept uh, the vaccinations. We want to hear from you as well during this conversation. Call and tell us uh, what you make of Michigan's rising COVID cases. How does it make you feel to see those numbers on the news each night and see them climbing once again to levels that kind of rival the past surges that we've seen? What do you think the government response should be to those rising levels? And tell us how you're protecting yourself during covid as always we want to hear from you about your position on vaccines are you somebody who's taken the vaccines have you gotten a booster or are you somebody who is still really skeptical about that whole idea uh, and you haven't done it yet Uh, we always want to hear from you as well Uh, we also want to hear from you what would change your mind what would make you uh, okay with the idea of accepting a vaccine for covid 19. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation uh, that way. Let's start today with Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a
3: couple of questions, actually you know, why are people still losing their jobs when it's been proven that the vaccine doesn't stop transmission in the workplace? And also, we have the pill now coming in the next week or two from Pfizer that's 90% effective at keeping you out of the hospital. So why are we still pushing people out of their jobs? Hmm. My other question is, Why doesn't the new shot include the Delta variant? Because the Delta variant is ramming our hospitals right now. They've been bottling these children's vaccines. Why isn't the Delta variant in there? And also, if this vaccine is so great, why is it not producing immunity? Mm -hmm. Vaccines of the past produced immunity. This Mm -hmm. is not. This seems like it's just another uh, business model from big pharma to sustain this virus so they can, we get the pill that we have to take every day. Well, now it's a vaccine that you're going to have to get at least once a year. Hmm. If you're compromised, you're going to have to get it maybe twice a year. They're saying.
1: So, so Daniel, Daniel, I want to, I want to get you to clarify something before I have uh, uh, Dr. El-Sayed respond to to, to what you're saying. You, You said something about why isn't the Delta variant in there? I'm not, I guess I'm not, Sure, what you mean by that?
3: Well, the vaccines, well, the shot, because technically it's not a vaccine, the definition of a vaccine is something that produces immunity. This does not produce immunity. So the shot does not include the Delta variant, it doesn't have it in there, it has the original strain. From the virus. I see what you're saying. And not okay. only that, why doesn't the, the current shot include every every variant from around the world? They just bottled these children's vaccines in the last two months. Why didn't have the latest yeah. variants? Daniel, it's a...
1: It's a great question. There's a great series of questions. Uh, I, I want to start with the, the, the first question, which was, why are people still losing their jobs? Because you say that uh, the, the vaccine is not stopping the spread of the disease in the workplace. Uh, Dr. El-Sayed, can you address, address that question?
2: Yeah, I'd like to respond to a lot of the unfortunate misinformation that um, Mm -hmm. it seems like Daniel was exposed to here. Mm -hmm. Um, The the first point is that we do have vaccine uh, verification and requirements, and you have requirements for all kinds of jobs that we work. Uh, Every single one requires you uh, to do certain things to keep yourself and, and, and the folks around you safe in the workplace. Um, vaccine verification works. It's critical to getting more people vaccinated, and yes, more vaccinations do prevent people from getting infected at the workplace, and that's why uh, it's required. So people are not are, are not being pushed out of their jobs. People are making a choice uh, to leave their jobs rather than do the thing that they would need to do to protect themselves uh, and, uh, and 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 their coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, on the point around the Delta variant and in, immunity, yes, this is a true vaccine because in fact it. Uh, is a piece of um, messenger RNA uh, that codes for a piece of the virus that is consistent across every single variant. Um, and what we've come to understand is that part of the reason that uh, this vaccine uh, was 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 less uh, effective against the the delta variant uh, is in part because of waning immunity, right? We uh, most of us got vaccinated before the delta variant came on the scene. The delta variant was also, very, very transmissible. Those two things uh, together meant that there was uh, less, um, less efficacy uh, over time. Now, that's part of the reason why um, we are updating uh, our understanding of this, this vaccine to be not a, uh, a, a two-dose regimen, but a three-dose regimen to address uh, the waning immune response. Um, and so, you know, I, I want folks to understand that, um, you know, I, I am, if you've read my work and, and know what I work on, I am a very, very uh, vocal critic of the pharmaceutical industry. Um, but I want to differentiate the industry from the science. And the science underneath these vaccines uh, is quite clear. Um, we, I remember learning about this back in 2014 when I was in medical school uh, and thinking, "Wow, uh, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to use this mRNA technology to produce vaccines?" Uh, produce vaccines for um, a, a highly transmissible pandemic disease, and, and here we are, uh, just a couple of years later, and that's working. This virus, because it is uh, what we call an RNA virus, um, it makes a lot of mistakes when it replicates itself, and you know, a million times out of a million and one, those mistakes uh, are are catastrophic for the virus; it dies. But one out of a million and one uh, render a an advantage, and so the virus can can mutate. Uh, quite quickly. And that's probably why over the next years, right, as this goes from pandemic to endemic, uh, we're going to continue to have to update our uh, vaccines as this thing moves. It's very similar to the flu, which is also an RNA virus. And so I just want folks to understand um, that, yes, this does render uh, people immune, that we do need to update uh, and and boost because uh, our immunity wanes with time, which is something that happens with, uh, with vaccines. That's why you need booster doses for many vaccines you take. Uh, And in fact, um, in a situation where uh, we are in a pandemic, people going back to work have to be protected from one another, uh, and vaccines are the best way to do that. And if folks choose to leave the workplace uh, because they don't want to do the thing that is safe for themselves uh, and their coworkers, well, that's a choice that they're making. And it's an unfortunate one uh, because we are in a moment right now where we need all hands on deck.
1: Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. We've got a lot of folks on the line who have questions and a lot of social media questions as well. If you want to join, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We're going to talk with Wardell and Jefferson Chalmers, Adam in Southfield and Anthony in Southwest next. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll get them into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. today on 1019 WDETM. Steven Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My my guest right now is Dr. Abdul El-Sayed. He is a public health doctor, former director of the Detroit Health Department. Uh, On his Substack, which is called The Incision, he has a new piece about the COVID surge that we're experiencing here in Michigan and how we ought to be thinking just a little differently about it than we have in the past. Lots of things, of course, are different with regard to COVID. The primary one, of course, is that we have vaccines and that many, many people have decided to take those vaccines, which lowers the incidence of people getting sick, makes the spread of the disease much more difficult uh, and pushes us toward that idea of herd immunity, which would uh, would really give us an advantage over COVID-19. We're talking about the ways we ought to be thinking about COVID right now, the things we ought to be doing, and how they differ from what we were doing at about this time last year, when, if you will remember, the world was still pretty much upside down and the forthcoming holidays were not going to be nearly as festive as uh, we had been used to. Uh, we want to hear from you about how you're thinking about the COVID surge and what you're doing to keep yourself safe. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. You can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Uh, I want to start uh, right now with an, a couple social media comments. Michael on Twitter asks, "Do we know why Michigan's numbers are currently the highest compared to other states? Is there a cause, or is it just variance? Are we doing something wrong in Michigan?" I think that's a wonderful question, uh, Abdul, and and I haven't heard a lot of people try to come up with an answer for it. So I'm going to ask you, why are we in such bad shape? By the by, the numbers at least here in Michigan.
2: Well, I think it's a combination of things. the The first is that um, this Delta variant just really is quite transmissible, far more transmissible than Garden variety COVID that we dealt with in the past. But if you remember, we actually had a, a surge back in April May, uh, which was the Alpha variant, and because of that surge, it's uh, likely that the 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 acquired immunity that we picked up as a collective here in Michigan made it so that Delta didn't hit us until a little bit later, and we are on the tail end of the Delta surge. And I think it's it's a big reason why uh, we're we're getting it now um, uh, is that we had that Alpha surge uh, earlier on, and the other piece is that it's cold, right? It's cold, and so uh, large congregations of of unvaccinated people are starting to occur because people are moving. Uh, indoors with their activities, and you know you have that um, that collective of unbothered, unvaccinated people uh, who are driving up causes, uh, cases everywhere. And if you look at the hotspots in Michigan, you know this is not equally distributed. It's it's far more common in less vaccinated communities where people are moving indoors and spreading it amongst themselves. And um, I think you take those two things together, um, and those are the best explanations I can come up with. But um, you know it, it's it, this is a complex thing. And, you know, there are as many causes of it, uh, as, uh, as, 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 as there are capacities to verify them. But, um, but those are, those are the two that I think come together right now and are explaining what, uh, what we're experiencing. Mm. Uh,
1: again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Let's go to, uh, Dina in Ferndale. Dina, what's on your mind? Oh, uh,
0: good morning, Stephen. Um, uh, my question is, um, for Dr. El-Sayed, uh, our family is spread out, as most of us are, all over the place, and we're all talking about going to Elk Rapids, uh, where my mother-in-law lives, who's in her 80s. And um, the big debate is, should we all be tested, rapid testing, um, leading into this? Uh, a lot of uh, nieces and nephews coming from colleges. Everybody's vaccinated. Um, should we be testing?
1: Hmm. That's a that's a great question, Dina, and I'm really glad you called and asked it. And I think it's something that a lot of families are are debating right now. Is how do we get together and be safe, even though things are very different than they were last year? There are still some risks, so is should testing be part of, I guess, the protocols that we that we put in place before we get together on the holiday next week? What do you think, Abdul? <laughs>
2: Yeah, you that's know, a really uh, good question, and you know, particularly considering uh, the fact that you've got a um, uh, a family member who is uh, potentially highly vulnerable. The, the way I think about pandemic prevention or or, or COVID nineteen transmission prevention is all about layers. Um, the most important, the base layer, right? Uh, the, the big coat that you'd put on to protect yourself from the cold, for example. Uh, that is the vaccine, and it's really critical to make sure that everybody's gotten their full doses uh, that they're eligible for. Um, and, and that really is important. So that's number one. Number two, another layer that you can introduce as uh, Dina mentioned is rapid testing. And, um, you know, it is, it is far more available than it had been. And it is a really good way, uh, to assure that someone whom you assume to be COVID negative is in fact COVID negative. And the way you do this is, uh, you know, you would test just before, um, you all got together, maybe that morning or, uh, even in the car, uh, on the way, um, once you parked, of course, um, and, uh, and, and test and you know for folks who um, who are negative then, then then you all come come together and know that uh, not only are you protected by your vaccinations, but you're also protected because you verified um, that you are uh, that you are in fact COVID negative coming in. And so that is a, a really um, a good step. I don't want anybody to leave this conversation thinking that they have to do that. Um, but that is an extra step that folks uh, might want to take if uh, there is somebody who's particularly vulnerable or you know if you have children uh, under the age of, of five who are not yet, Uh, are not yet eligible for vaccination.
1: Mm. Again, Dina, really appreciate the call and the questions and uh, wish you good luck with your holiday next week. All right, let's go to Adam in Southfield. Adam, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Dr. Al-Sayed. My question is also about rapid testing. Um, So we clearly have a part of the population that is not going to get vaccinated. And I've had been thinking about, um, you know, what if if a a strategy was put in place about rapid testing at home where it was presented to the unvaccinated community as kind of a compromise or a middle ground um, where, hey, if you're not going to get vaccinated, um, at a minimum, start testing at home Um, and kind of as a way to, as a whole, to start to get ahead of this pandemic.
1: Hmm. Uh, Great question, Adam. Thanks uh, for the call. Uh, Go ahead, Abdul.
2: Yeah, Adam, I, I really appreciate your point. Um, you know, early on the pandemic, before we had vaccines, uh, rapid testing uh, was really uh, a, a an option that I, I actually I think as a society we missed um, in terms of being able to to keep ourselves safer. It is it is uh, no substitute for vaccines, and I, I don't want folks to, to 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 come away from this conversation thinking that you know if you just rapid test instead of instead of vaccinating, it's as effective. Simply because you know a vaccine actually protects you from being infected. A rapid test just uh, increases your probability that you don't come in contact with people if you are infected um the, the 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 point that you're making though does um it is a really important one particularly as you are thinking about uh the you know quintessential thanksgiving problem which is you have people with very different perspectives on the world coming together and sometimes that makes for hard conversation but in the context of a pandemic that that can also make for uh situations where people are really just deeply uncomfortable by the fact that um someone uh, that that uh, they are interacting with someone that they know and love may not be vaccinated um, and may not be taking the pandemic seriously and so you know one potential option that families may have is to say look you know if we're going to get together in uh, in a house um the, the best option is that you know only vaccinated people come but uh, the other you know one potential uh, approach here is to say listen y- even if you're not going to you know do the thing that protects yourself and the rest of this family and get vaccinated we're going to ask that you take a rapid test uh before you come to Thanksgiving and, and demonstrate that you're covid negative and that might be something uh, that helps to to allay some of the concerns that folks might have. Um, but I, I do I do want folks to to understand that you know rapid testing, while uh, a valuable layer, is not the same thing as uh, a vaccination. It's the difference between saying you know I put on my thermal underwear uh, versus uh, I put on my coat today when I went outside, and those provide very different protections against the cold. And just like vaccines and and rapid tests provide very different levels of protection against the virus. Hmm.
1: A femme on Twitter says schools use the county risk level, which is very based on cases, to make decisions about things like masking. I worry our young kids will be masked indefinitely, even after vaccinations and how that affects their social development. I, I, I do hear a lot of people talking about this concern. Of course, there were some pretty. I think confrontational episodes in in Michigan and different school districts about the idea of masking, especially young children uh, talk uh, about what we what we should be thinking about how schools make those decisions and whether we should be concerned about long term effects of things uh, like masking.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate uh, the the question here. I've got a, a three-year-old and um, and she goes to preschool and, you know, every day as I drop her off, the first thing we talk about is keeping the mask on. Um, and, you know, that's all she's ever known. And so it's hard to fully ascertain the long-term consequences of you know, going to school and not being able to see the, the bottom of someone's face. The, the big um, point here is that the more children get vaccinated, uh, the more we can trade uh, our uh, protection by way of vaccines. Uh, for our protection by way of masks, and uh, my hope is is that um, you know as we get to a, a space where uh, children have gotten vaccinated, of course they've they've just become eligible uh, if they're under the age of twelve and and over the age of of of, of four, um, they've just gotten eligible to get those vaccines. But the hope is is that um, as children get vaccinated, then we can trade vaccines for masks, and we can go back to a, a more uh, normal uh, school environment and. Um, the, the hard part though, is that so much of this conversation has been so politicized that we've gotten to a place where rather than having a coherent and uh fact-based conversation about how we protect our kids, uh, from COVID while also creating a nurturing and normal school learning environment, uh, there, this has sort of been hijacked by, uh, just a dis- disregard for and a disbelief in the pandemic, which I think may frustrate our capacity to do that well. And, um, uh, unfortunately, schools have become such a fault line for this conversation and many others uh, that I don't think are as helpful. Um, but uh, but if if we can get kids vaccinated, yes, then you can imagine a world where they don't have to wear masks at school because they're vaccinated and the risk of transmission is uh, is is exceedingly low. Hmm.
1: Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Anthony in Southwest Detroit. Anthony, what's on your mind?
4: Good morning, uh, Stephen, Dr. El-Sayed. I understand there's correlation, you know, between
0: the vaccination rates and what we see play out. But uh, these coronavirus discussions are just missing the mark for me because everyone wants to make
4: sure people are adequately injected. But it never comes up, are people adequately insured? And even one of our supposed uh, biggest advocates for single-payer health insurance
5: here has failed to mention it in this discussion. Well, how about that public health tool?
1: Hmm. Uh, great question, Anthony. Uh, Dr. El-Sayed, uh, what's your answer?
2: Anthony, I appreciate you bringing it up. I'm, I'm never going to disagree with you that we need more health insurance. In fact, one of the biggest uh, the biggest predictors of whether or not someone is going to get vaccinated is whether or not they're insured. And uninsured people are far less likely to trust the vaccine because it's the first time anybody's given them health care for free. And so, Anthony, I really appreciate you uh, bringing this up because... Uh, you're right. That being said, right, um, I do think it's important to remember that uh, that these aren't trade-offs, that we should have more people vaccinated and we should have more people insured. They are, uh, frankly, part of the same goal, which is to keep people uh, healthy. And, um, you know, the the, the big challenge uh, that I, I think um, we have often in society is that uh, the way that we um, unfortunately come to health and health care is so mediated by uh, large corporations that it undercuts a lot of trust that people have um, in the institutions providing them health care, whether it's a vaccine uh, or or um, their clinical care. And until and unless as a society we come to grips with the fact that healthcare care should not be something that people have to pay for, that it should be something that they should get as a function of being a member of, of our society, um, then we're going to continue to have unnecessary barriers uh, to getting healthcare. care, whether it's because people can't get access to it or it's because people don't trust it in the first place. Um, and so, Anthony, I really appreciate you bringing it up.
1: Uh, again, Anthony, thanks very much for the call and the good question there. Uh, let's go to Wardell in Jefferson Chalmers. Wardell, welcome to the show.
5: Right. Uh, good morning. I really mm-hmm. appreciate the, the uh, holistic approach that like the doctor's offering. And my question is this. Um, there still seems to be a big disconnect between the medical community and the health, food, and natural community. Community. I have friends who are in, in health care uh, or rather have health food stores, and they seem to think if you just uh, eat healthy you know take your vitamins and minerals, nutrition and all of that that you don't need to shop they don't seem to believe that you can, that you should do both and I hear a lot of people who are highly intelligent are uh, saying that they, they're eating healthy they're vegan and whatever and they don't need to shop so can you get, offer me something uh, how there could be a better connect between the uh, the healthful community and the medical
1: community. Hmm. That's an interesting question, Wardell. Uh, Dr. Al-Sayed, what's the answer?
2: Mr. Wardell, I really appreciate the the, the question here. Um, You know, one of the unfortunate realities of the way that we've medicalized the conversation about health is that we spend a lot of time thinking about what happens underneath the skin, but we don't spend enough time uh, thinking about what happens above the skin, right? The the way that uh, what you put into your body, the places that you walk, the air you breathe, the water you drink, uh, the access to uh, a, a, a healthy social environment that uh, that values you and doesn't victimize you, whether uh, you know by a neighbor or or the state itself in the form of the police. I mean, these are these are conversations that we have to have together. And I really appreciate you tying them. The reality of it is that yes, it is incumbent on people to to do what they can to to keep themselves healthy, eating right and exercising, and that's really important. But also, we're in the midst of a pandemic and. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I know uh, too many uh, folks that ostensibly were really quite healthy um, and that were struck down by by this virus. And the most important thing we can do uh, is to uh, to get that vaccination. The reality of it, though, is that. You know, that vaccine is going to be more effective for you the healthier you are, right? It is your immune system. And, you know, you're teaching your immune system how to recognize a virus. That's what mm-hmm. the vaccine does. Mm-hmm. But if your immune system itself is unhealthy, right, then uh, then it's just not going to be able to respond in the same way. And so these things go together. Take your vaccine, but also take care of yourself, uh, both uh, one and the other. And if you can do both of those things together, uh, you're maximizing your probability of protecting yourself. But one is not a, uh, a an excuse not to do the other. Yeah.
1: Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We've still got a lot of folks who want to talk about this. Let's go to Martha in Ortonville. Martha, welcome to the show.
0: Hello. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Uh, uh-huh. Dr. Al-Sayed, I met you at the North Oakland Dems meeting picnic when you were running for governor a few years ago and was impressed with you then. Mike, hello?
1: Yep, go ahead. Go ahead, Martha.
0: My question is, you know, Stephen referenced a few minutes ago we'd like to get to herd immunity. Vermont was told they were at herd immunity in August. And when you follow the numbers like I do, just periodically, I said Vermont is at the most astronomical numbers it has ever had. And in the worst of the pandemic, they are now worse than they were then Hmm. in average cases. And their deaths have reached the same place per day as they were at the worst of the pandemic.
5: Hmm.
0: You can't just throw caution to the wind because you have supposed herd immunity. Yeah. So what do we tell people?
1: Martha, I, I'm really glad you called and, and brought that up. I, I, I saw something about Vermont, I feel like in the last couple of days that that was hinting at this this very issue. So I'm glad that the, that you've asked it. The Dr. El-Sayed, what are we to make of what's going on in Vermont?
2: Yeah, I really appreciate the question, Martha. And um, there are a couple of um, challenges with the way that we even measure herd immunity. Herd immunity is a concept that is sort of measured by the absence of a of, of virus. Of course, when the virus starts to spread, uh, it tells you you're not at herd immunity. The problem is, is that you know w- w- the kind of estimate that is made uh, about herd immunity is an estimate of you know the amount of vaccine-mediated immunity and the amount of acquired immunity, acquired immunity being the immunity that you get for a short time that's highly specific to a variant that you get after you get COVID-19. And the challenge is that, A, uh, we know that acquired immunity fades with time rather quickly. And we're starting to understand that vaccine-mediated immunity uh, after two shots uh, has started to fade too. The other problem, right, is that even if collectively as a state, a certain state may have, um, let's say, 85% of people whom you'd expect to have some level of immunity, and you may say that they are they are now herd immune, the problem is, is that the other uh, 15% may all live in a few counties. And if those other 15% may all live in a few counties, if you go to those counties, those counties are decidedly not herd immunity. And if the virus starts to spread amongst those people, then uh, you start having massive caseloads, et cetera. And so, you know, you take the collision of those two issues, the fact that we're seeing immunity wane with time uh, and the fact that um, you have a congregation of people who are the unbothered, unvaccinated that I've spoken to. Uh, and it sort of explains why um, why those those numbers may not may not be all that they uh, appear to be when, when you aggregate them up. And Uh, And so, you know, this the same kind of situations happening here in Michigan, uh, where we have the aggregation of unvaccinated people together and the spreading of cases amongst them. The key thing is more of those folks in those communities need to be vaccinated and Mm -hmm. uh, all the rest of us need to make sure that we're getting our third dose uh, to 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 protect ourselves and our communities.
1: Okay, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, it's always really great to have you here with us uh, on Detroit Today, especially so today because I think uh, everyone is thinking really hard about all these things as we get ready for Thanksgiving and the rest of the holiday season. So thanks so much for uh, coming by.
2: Stephen, it's always my privilege, and uh, thank you for, uh, for always asking great questions.
1: Yeah. And you can check out uh, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed's piece and lots of other things that he's writing about at his Substack, which is called The Incision. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to meet an artist who recently completed Detroit's 100th City Commission mural. Wally Johnson joins me next on Detroit Today to talk about his work, and about the ethos of public art in a city like Detroit. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. listening to detroit today on 101.9 wdet i'm stephen henderson and as always thanks for tuning in if you spend any time driving around the city of detroit these days you cannot help but notice some new artwork all around town the duggan administration city walls program was created back in 2017 to enhance public spaces and now it's reached a big milestone. The project just put up its 100th mural here in the city, and it is a really striking piece of public art. The Spirit is a six-story mural that depicts a black woman holding the gold sun and spires of our famous Spirit of Detroit statue with the city's flag worn as a head wrap. I have to say, when I first saw this image, it really, really caught my attention. There is so much going on in that image, not only the image itself and the obvious beauty that it has, but the messages that I think are baked into those images and the way that they're put together. The artist is a young muralist and portrait artist from right here in Detroit. Wally Johnson is a software engineer by day who has been commissioned to create oil paintings and murals in galleries and on walls in places including Chicago, Lansing, and of course right here in his hometown of Detroit. Wally Johnson joins me now to talk about his work, The Spirit, and his take on the power of public art. Wally, welcome to Detroit
4: Today. Thank you so much, Stephen, for having
1: me. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. I've wanted to talk to you about this since I saw that mural (laughs) the first time. So let's start here. What inspired this piece that you titled
4: The Spirit? You know, this was a really interesting piece because the development was over kind of over the course of a couple of years. I actually took this picture of my friend back in 2017, and um, I had something in mind, and that project kind of fell through. But I was like, this is a really great photo, and uh, I'm gonna use it for something. But I didn't, just didn't know uh, what it would be at that time. And then, I got into the city walls program, and um, you know, my fiance actually suggested, like, she's like, you should paint this wall, like this giant wall there. And so. I reached out to the building owner, and then um, immediately when I started brainstorming, this image came back to my mind. I was like, this could be, this is like a really hopeful image, Uh, and on a large scale, it could be really powerful, Uh, but she actually had a different head wrap on, and it was just kind of the face, and so I started trying to work with the little sketching, and then my fiance was like, you should make the head wrap Uh, the Detroit flag. And I was like, that's it. Like, (laughs) once I got that, then it all, like the story I was trying to tell, just like came together. I started thinking about the spirit of Detroit then I added the hands in and um, yeah, it just, that was a really fantastic suggestion and that kind of um, uh, led me in the direction that I I ended up in.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that it does for me is kind of, I, I think put that stamp of black detroit on the image that we all associate with the city in the first place which is of course the spirit of detroit statue it really recasts the idea of what the spirit of the city is to a more modern take this is a city uh that is 85 percent african-american it is the blackest city in north america is what uh, a lot of us say uh this this really uh marries the idea of who is detroit with the idea of
4: what is detroit exactly and that's that's so important to me because um i was raised by a single black woman and i've seen many uh black women in this city keeping it alive and so I think to really represent that, um, yeah, like you said, it's like a new take on this symbol that we might not associate with um, uh, necessarily with Black people. Uh, So, yeah, I was really excited for that. And I think it was needed uh, because, you know, so many people came up to me and they're like, oh, is this Rosa Parks or is this like someone famous? And I'm like, no. And it just shows like people are not. Especially black people are not used to being represented uh, in such mm-hmm. a like um, uh, a big way like that, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think that is really important to to show people like you know everyday ordinary people can be represented in this manner. You don't have to be someone famous, and um, yeah, I think it's just it's been um, it had more effect than I even thought initially. Hmm. So I, I, I want to talk
1: a little about public art and its ability to affect communities. You've talked in the past about how you believe public art has a real effect on on where we live and how we live. Explain your thoughts on that and what effect you
4: hope this mural might have. Yeah, so I think one good example is, like, even, you know, even if you don't necessarily, uh, like, think, like, okay, you know, this, this piece is, uh, like, influencing me in some way, it can, like, influence you subconsciously or just when you're, you know, driving by, you might not think about it now. But like when I was younger, there was this mural um, on Gratiot called the African Amalgamation of Ubiquity. Mm -hmm. And um, it depicted, you know, uh, uh, Black people in Africa and then here in the States. And it ended with like Coleman Young in Detroit. And um, I didn't really know how much that impacted me. I just knew, yeah, I, I liked it. But then once it got into a state of disrepair and then mm-hmm. ultimately torn down, I felt like a piece of me was gone or something. I was like, what? Like, you know, I did not know that it impacted me that way. So I feel like um, that's the the power of public art. And also, of course, to, to beautify the neighborhood and um, just seeing, um, bringing something different, I feel like, to the neighborhood. Because, you know, there's not, um, uh, depending on where you are in the city, there may not be a lot of, you um, art uh, on that scale Mm -hmm. and just accessible to the community. Um, Something like, uh, you know, they don't have to go to the DIA or another museum now. They can see this art in their community. And um, I think that that's really powerful and it can become something that, um, yeah, is like a important part of the neighborhood or kind of brings out the soul of the neighborhood.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, in the open, you work, as a software engineer, but, but you also have this, uh, obviously incredible talent and, and interest in, in art. Uh, what are your goals for this kind of work,
4: I guess, uh, for yourself and, and for the city? Um, so honestly, I, I really love to travel and it would be a dream if I could like kind of combine, uh, the love for art and travel um, this year, I got to go to Lansing, and then I also and, and do a piece there, and I also did a piece in West Virginia, which is really cool. And uh, that is in part due to the flexibility of my my software job; I can work remotely from anywhere. But um, I would really love to to combine those two. Like if I can, um, I, I just feel like it's something interesting about like um doing murals in different places it's kind of like a cultural exchange in a way like i get to learn about them i get to talk with them uh, the people of that community and then uh gift them something that hopefully uh they really like and mm-hmm. uh becomes a part of their community um so that's um uh that would be something that i would love to do
1: yeah
4: yeah. Uh, before we have to end the show,
1: uh, tell people where they might be able to find prints of uh, this mural or, or or your other work.
4: Oh, yes. People can find prints of my mural on uh, my website, which is waleedjohnson.com, W-A-L-E-E-D-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. Um, Yeah, and there are uh, pictures of my other work as well if you want to view uh, past murals and oil paintings. And of course, on Instagram as well. Uh, My my Instagram handle is Walid underscore the underscore artist. And that is uh, the most up to date thing.
1: Okay. Well, congratulations on. Uh, this mural and, and congratulations on it being the 100th City Commission mural here in the city. That's such a big deal. And it was really great to have you here. We wish you all, all the luck in the future.
4: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
1: Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. Come back on Monday when writer Will Storr will join the program to talk about his new book, The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human and How to Tell Them Better. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.